podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mix. Today we are recapping a much closer game than I was hoping for for the Kansas Jayhawks against the Oklahoma Sooners. And then also going to be previewing another one of these Saturday-Monday turnarounds uh, Kansas is playing the Oklahoma State Cowboys in Allen Fieldhouse coming up on Monday, February 14th. A nice Valentine's Day matchup for the Jayhawks. So to help me do that, to recap everything and then to be looking ahead, he is coming back. Uh, the, the guy that runs the Twitter account for us and occasionally will be throwing an article over on Blue Wings Rising. Uh, Steve Fetch, Fetch, how you doing today? Hey, good. How are you doing? Pretty good. So obviously this game... Um, was much, much more stressful, I think, than it should have been. But uh, what was your main, I, like, what's the main thing you took away from this game? Because we can go good, we can go bad. There's there's plenty of stuff to talk about. Like, what's the main story that jumps out to you? Yeah, I, you know, I think there's obviously a lot of uh, storylines that kind of jump out. Um, kind of the big one, I think, maybe, would be the fact that if Kansas continues to uh, not have their act cleaned up in terms of turnovers, um, that probably spells doom for March. You know, obviously you don't really want to analyze every game through the lens of March, but obviously that's where the championship is designed or, uh, or decided, excuse me. And, you know, Oklahoma, uh, you know, not ever turning it over really only 14% are in possessions. Um, Kansas obviously cleaned it up in the second half there. Uh, but in the first half, they were well over 20%. And um, that's something where if, if they don't pick one, you know, if they don't either stop turning it over or start forcing other teams to turn it over, um, it's it's just going to be tough to make a deep run in March just because they're going to have, you know, fewer possessions there uh, attempting shots than the other team. Yeah, that was weird because you're right that they were over, I think it was like 24% or something at one point. Um, but they brought it down for the game under, it was like 16 and a half. So they really brought it down quite a bit before the end of the game. Yeah, it was uh, it was 16.1% was their turnover rate over on Ken Palm, uh, which means that in the second half, they really cleaned it up, which is great. But it would be much more, it would be much better to, uh, you know, have it be consistent across the course of the game. Like you can, you can handle a turnover here and there. It's when you get three or four turnovers in the stretch of, you know, six or seven possessions that you really start to run into an issue. And that happened with Kansas. I, I do think though, kind of on the flip side, the fact that they can go large stretches without turning the ball over, that they can, you know, have huge stretches where their offense is doing absolutely nothing. And then they flip it like a switch. Like that's got to be a great sign. The problem, like you said, is, the, you know, the tournament is a high variance type of situation where you have one bad game or you have one bad half and you can find yourself down so far that you're going to have a hard time coming back. Kansas easily could have lost this game today. And and to be honest, the way that they ended the, the game was not great. Like it was, it was a little worrisome the way that they actually ended the game. And so I'm not really sure like that, that, that that's definitely one of the things for me, um, Kind of on the flip side, they don't force possess or force turnovers nearly as much as I thought that they would. For how good of a team this is supposed to be getting to be defensively, you would expect them to force more turnovers. You would for, you would expect that pressure defense they bring, which they step up at times, but you would expect to be more consistent about getting the opponent to turn the ball over. Oklahoma has a turnover problem. They are a team that, like I, I think on the preview, they were like twenty spots from absolute worst in the country in terms of turnover rate. Um, and they had a better turnover rate than the Jayhawks did. You know, they were only at 14.5%. So something is going on. I don't know what it is. I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how you, you know, 
make it so that you turn over opponents more. But you're right. Like something has to happen because they can't have those gigantic stretches. One of the other things that jumped out to me, and, and I'm sure you were probably going to get here soon, but I, I, I think the the thing that surprised me the most is just how varied the the post players that we have on the roster are. Um, you know, this was a game where, yes, David McCormick was physical with Tanner Groves early, um, but you get in the second half and Tanner Groves comes out and starts playing on the perimeter, and David McCormick can't handle that. He has a really hard time defending the way that he needs to. Mitch Lightfoot had issues as well trying to defend Groves out on the perimeter. Bring in a guy like Zach Clements, who saw his first action in a really long time, seems to be absolutely just fine. That boot is nowhere to be seen. Um, he had a phenomenal game here, and like you look at the the box score, you know, he only had nine minutes with three points, that one three-pointer that he made. Um, and like, you look at what he does in terms of the, the rebounding only had three rebounds, but he played really good defense on, on Groves in the last half of that second half there. Um, actually, I believe he checked in and then stayed in the rest of the game, which was, which was absolutely phenomenal to see, but he brings a different dynamic. And, And I think the thing that jumps out to me the most is that Kansas really does have four big men that play four completely different styles. You know, David being down low as the big bruiser, uh, you have, Mitch Lightfoot is that huge energy guy that kind of flies all over the place and is able to pick up some stuff if, you know, if, if you have a guy that can't really overpower. Like, he's he's kind of more of your jack-of-all-trades. He can jump around and do a lot of different things. He doesn't do any of them particularly, you know, phenomenally, but he does them well enough that if you need a guy that you can just throw in there, he happens to handle that really well. KJ is much better with the athletic guys that can move quickly down in the post, you know, as opposed to McCormick handling the bigger guys but he cannot play out on the perimeter nearly as well as a guy like Zach Clemens can. And, you know, so, so those big guys that can come out on the perimeter that can make you come out there and can shoot the three, he's the perfect kind of guy for that. So really Kansas has a bunch of different weapons that they can use a whole bunch of different guys. It's really going to be important that Bill Self is able to identify which one is needed in each particular situation and get those guys in there. I'm hoping we see more of a willingness to kind of rotate the big guys, depending on the situation. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, Clements was the perfect guy today to, to guard Tanner Groves. You know, he's a, a pretty big mobile guy who can, um, you know, get out and challenge those three-pointers, but also recover and, and uh, you know, seal him off when he tries to drive into the lane. And, and you saw him with some good health defense as well. And, um, you know, offensively, I think he, he delivers a dimension that the other big men don't with his ability to step out and shoot. And, you know, it looks like he's got, you know, some pretty decent ball skills too, where you don't feel too bad with him um you know at least looking for a guy to find on the perimeter and stuff like that so um pretty good for him to come back after uh however long he's been out seems like pretty much all season but however long he's been out and to to make an impact in in his time today but um yeah another you know frankly another pretty good game for for big dave you know defensively obviously he uh got taken advantage of a a few times by groves and, and wasn't great either on the perimeter and and know inside which is a little uncharacteristic for him he's been pretty good so far this year you know for the most part um interiorly uh, or interior defensively but um you know five of eight shooting about what you expect from him had did have a block um wasn't great on the glass you know three offensive rebounds which is tied for the team high but you know kind of far off what he's been uh doing earlier this season but um you know not a not a bad effort uh, at all from him and, and kind of the, um, performance that you would 
maybe hope uh, to get going forward. Maybe the, the two turnovers probably should uh, should get cut out. But other than that, I, I don't think there's a, a ton to complain about because, you know, Tanner Gross has taken advantage of a lot of guys down low. So um, the fact that it happened to, to Big Dave certainly does not make him uh, unique amongst Big 12 big men. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like one of those one of those turnovers was a pass that was probably a little too far down low for him and he didn't quite handle it correctly. Like there was, there was definitely not entirely his fault on the turnovers that he had. It's not like he drove down and then just lost the handle on the ball or something like that. But I do agree. Like, yeah, there's definitely room for improvement for all of these guys. But I, I think what we saw here was very, very different styles of defensive play, very different styles of just post play in general from, from the guys that we had in there. And it, 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 it definitely made me feel a lot better about, you know, if Kansas is going to run into a a uh, a team in the in the NCAA tournament that has this completely different style of postman that McCormick isn't, you know, really set up for. Well, they have a guy like KJ that can handle one sort of aspect of that. And we have a guy like Zach Clements that can handle another one. Um, we also saw here that Porter Mosier did a really good job of changing the game plan for Oklahoma over the course of this game. Um, which required Kansas to make adjustments. They didn't probably adjust quite as well as I would have liked, but it's definitely one of those things where you've seen this team making more in-game adjustments than they have in the past, which is which is good. It's something that they're going to need for the NCAA tournament. One other thing that Zach Clements coming in allowed Kansas to really do, um, you know, Clements him himself didn't get a lot of offense in this game like we already talked about, but what it did is it allowed Kansas to play everybody out on the perimeter more on, on offense to kind of, almost go to a more no middle type of offense that we see, you know, Kansas have to play when like Texas tech forces them out to do that. It opened up driving lanes. It opened up possibilities for guys like Jalen Wilson or Ochai Abaji or even Christian Brown to get into the lane and really wreak havoc there. Um, you know, that's kind of, I think obviously the, the next guy to talk about would be Jalen Wilson. He had another absolutely phenomenal game here. 22 points on seven of 10 shooting from two. He was one to two from three. He had five, you know, he had five foul shots, uh, or made five of six from the free throw line, had nine rebounds. So like he was all over the place in this game. I, you know, he was he was making good cuts. He played really good defense too. Um, even though I don't really see any stats that would carry over there defensively. Um, of you know, other than of course the defensive rebounding. But um, you know, it, it's definitely one of those things. I think this is probably, a, or at least you have an argument for this being the best game that he's played this season. And the fact that he keeps stacking those on top of each other. You know that he 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 appears to have been have gotten better over the course of the last three weeks. Every single game, he's getting better and better and better. Um, he seems to be getting to the cl- point where he's going to be peaking right at the right time as they go in, in, into the NCAA tournament. As more and more teams focus on Ochai and take him out, at what point, like, do, do you think that he's on that trajectory? And at what point do you think like people are going to have to start paying attention to Wilson more, which should open things back up for Ochai? Yeah, well, I think, you know, both both in that Texas game and in the Oklahoma game where, you know, teams just decided, hey, we're going to, you know, not let Ochai, you know, take anything, basically. Um, Kansas did really well as a team offensively. You know, offense hasn't been the problem in, in either of their last two games. So as far as I'm concerned, they can kind of keep doing that. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think as long as, um, as long as they keep scoring like this, teams are probably going to have to adjust. But then, obviously, you know, Ochai Baji is going to get going again. So, um, I don't really envy who has to uh, try to draw plans to stop this team. Um, you're right. Jalen Wilson keeps stacking those good games on top of each other. You know, after a really lackluster non-conference part of the season, um, he's done really, really well in big 12 play. I think he, if you take 
just, you know, big 12 stats into consideration. I think he's probably a first team, all big 12 type guy. Uh, I don't know if, you know, the voters are going to do that and then, and then vote him first team, all big 12, but you know, leading the big 12 and both effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage in big 12 play leading the big 12 and offensive rating, you know, getting to the free throw line a bunch, uh, shooting a, you know, 35% from three, which is, um, you know, not an elite sharpshooter or anything like that, but certainly good enough to where teams are going to have to come out and guard you. And then you can drive by him and score inside. So, um, he's just been great. Uh, he's been better defensively, you know, on the wing, he can still get isolated and, and lost a little bit, but he's a lot better, uh, down low than I think anyone thought he would be. And, and, uh, certainly better than he was earlier in the season. So he's been great. Christian Brown as well. I don't know if you want to just pivot right to him, but um, yeah, for sure. kind of a, a lack, kind of a lackluster first half for him. And then, uh, you know, second half came out and uh, really exploded right away. And, you know, obviously finished with those uh, 18 points and um, three block shots to lead the team, including that one that I remember off the, the inbounds pass where whoever it was for Oklahoma got loose and seemed like he had a wide open layup and, and Brown rejected him, And then Kansas went the other way. So um, certainly seems like he's kind of taken over as like the, you know, emotional leader of the team and, um, kind of as he goes, so does Kansas. So it was nice to see him get out and, and have yet another, um, good big 12 game. And he's another guy where, you know, maybe not a first team, all big 12 guy, but probably second team, all big 12. If you're just looking at those, uh, those conference stats only, he's been really good kind of across the board, uh, up to 30% from three, which is, you know, higher than he was, uh, last season. And, um, again, not, not a sharpshooter, but, you know, he's also a guy who he's not getting many open looks, you know, Jalen Wilson's the guy that was leaving open whereas Christian Brown, just because of that reputation, because of what he did as a freshman, you know, getting a bunch of open looks on that 2020 team, um, teams aren't going to give him those open looks They're they're flying out on him and stuff like that. So, um, to be at 34%, you'd like to see that tick up a little bit, but still not bad. And, and he's shown an increasing ability to, go score inside. He made a couple of just crazy runners today. So yet another good game for him. Yet another good game for Wilson. Um, I think if both of those guys keep him up or keep that up. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to have to come off of Baji at some point, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and really, I think it's, it's come down to the thing that we were talking about. I, I don't remember if it was you and me or a few other people that I've been, you know, coming on to, to recapping these, but like Kansas has three guards that could potentially take a game over on their own in Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, and, and Ochai Bachi. If two of them are on, it is really hard. You know, like uh, basically everything else has to go wrong for a team to beat them if they are on. Um, if all three of them are on, it's completely deadly. And we saw that against Baylor. Um, but, you know, we are at the point now, I think Ochai is still, he, like he still seems a little bit slower than he normally has. I'm wondering if there's some sort of, you know, thing related to him coming off of a COVID pause or things like that. Um I, I have full confidence that he's going to get back there. It's just a matter of timing at this point, especially since you're right. Like Texas focused on him, Oklahoma, you could tell focused on him quite a bit to make sure that he couldn't beat them and to force someone else to do it. But yes, Jalen Wilson is coming on absolutely phenomenally, but I, I don't know that Christian Brown ever stopped being kind of the emotional motor for this team. He's the guy that really like when, when he has an attitude, the rest of the team feeds off of it. We saw that in the first Oklahoma game that all of a sudden that flurry of activity at the end of the, at the end of the game, you know, was really fed by some fans that were in the corner that decided to mouth off to Christian Brown. And he goes and knocks down that three. And then, and, you know, Kansas playing with fire the rest of the way um, that really kind of happened in this game too. Yeah. He was slower. He was, you know, it didn't really necessarily seem as locked in, in the first half, but that second half, especially when Kansas went on that giant run, um, 
you know, to, to really kind of push the lead at that point. Um, you know, that was absolutely phenomenal. Like they went on a 15 to two run and a lot of that was fueled by what Christian Brown was doing and the big blocks that he made and, you know, just him flying around all over the place. Um, this was definitely a game where, where those guys got going. Hopefully it's a confidence builder because, you know, Jalen Wilson has been getting better and better, but Christian Brown has gotten back to, um, really good offensive performances. I, I, I wrote an article over at Blue Wings Rising, you know, kind of talking about, hey, look, Christian had a good game against Baylor, but we need to see another one here in the next couple games to, you know, really think that he's trending upwards. This was that game that, that really did it. Yes, um, you know, he had plenty of points, but everything else was there too. You saw the rest of his game coming along. You saw him helping to move the ball offensively around. You saw a lot of different things that he was able to contribute offensively in this performance, which which has me thinking that he is back to being like not maybe not quite at the same level just because the competition isn't nearly as or is is, is much better than it was. But back at the beginning of the non-conference when he was just absolutely killing teams, he's doing a lot of similar sort of things now, helping to facilitate the offense, helping to kind of fly around. And he's always been a player that will use his defense to feed his own offense. Um and he's doing that a lot more. He's he's you know he had those those three blocks, all of them led to something immediately offensively for the Jayhawks. So that was absolutely phenomenal to see. Um, yeah, you know, it's, de- it's definitely, it's, it's hard to find anything offensively to really be upset about in this game, other than the fact that they did go kind of cold in the first half. Like for, for a long stretch of time, it seemed like they really couldn't, couldn't do much. And it didn't necessarily, it, like it, it was more turnovers. It was more unforced errors than maybe Oklahoma actually taking something away from them. Um, you know, that's, I think, probably the most frustrating part about it is that it doesn't seem like opposing teams are stopping Kansas's offense. It's Kansas not not performing the way that they need to and not executing the way that they need to to keep those offenses going, especially early. We've been talking, I, I think I've tweeted this now <clears throat> like seven or eight times um, in conference play or like right before conference play. It was like, well, you know, it could be worse, but, uh, you know, it like, or I'm sorry, that that performance in the first half was bad, but you know what? It could be worse. They're kind of close. It's like, we need to stop having those where we get to halftime and it's like, this is a bad performance, but hey, it could be worse. They just need to make sure that they stop performing that way in the first half and don't set themselves back so far and have to try to get a big flurry at the end of the first half to get close or try to make up a whole bunch of ground after the break. All right, so Fetch, um... Obviously, I think we can flip over really quick to the other side because Oklahoma did score 1.11 points per possession. Um, you know, it seemed like there was a lot of things that Kansas was doing great offensively, but I mean, how, how much of that was just Oklahoma getting loose at the end and starting to knock down threes where at the beginning of the game, they really weren't? Like, is 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 it as simple as that, that Oklahoma started making threes and Kansas took some time to adjust to it and then finally was able to stop them from hitting all of them? Or is there something else there defensively that you're worried about from this team? Yeah, you know, it might be some of that. Um, might be some of that, you know, they're still having some some miscommunication problems. I mean, there were certainly times where, um, you know, you'd, Oklahoma would do pretty simple pick and roll stuff and Kansas would get lost and, and the roll man would have a pretty free lane to the basket or, you know, the, the ball handler would have the ability to stop and, you know, have all day to make a decision, that sort of thing. So, some of that maybe um, I don't know if some of it is, you know, they, they can't really pressure a ton because they don't have a, a ton of foot speed on the perimeter to stick with guys. And also if there's foul trouble, then, you know, whoever they have coming in um, you know, th- this is a, a pretty deep team. 
Um, but we know Bill Self doesn't like to go that deep. So he probably, you know, there's guys that he doesn't want in foul trouble, especially with no Remy Martin um, playing. So probably a little bit of both where, you know, they can't play super aggressive, but also um, are, are not communicating well, which leads to, to easy baskets. You know, Oklahoma shot 60%, uh, 61%, I should say, on twos, um, which, you know, they're, they're you know, the the best two-point shooting team in the Big 12. So that in and of itself isn't the worst thing in the world. But, you know, you, you would hope Kansas would keep them down below their season average just because it's a home game. Um, yeah, the three-point thing, you know, you, you might be right. I think they did do a pretty good job other than a couple of those wide-open Tanner Groves ones. Um, I think they did do a, a pretty good job at either, you know, letting bad shooters take them. You know, Jordan Goldwire made a couple of them. He's a, a 29% three-point shooter. Um, you know, Elijah Harkless, uh, two for seven, which um, he's a, a better shooter, obviously, but I think they did a pretty good job, you know, if I'm remembering getting out on those. So, um, you know, the, the three-point thing kind of kind of is what it is. I think I always like to look at the the two-point percentage. So that's where you're you're probably a little bit worried. Um, for all of KU's defensive faults, they haven't been like a, a terrible two-point defense. Um, today was not great. So hopefully just, a, hopefully just a blip. You know, they forced a couple of really bad shots when need be um, that last possession. I don't know if they really forced anything, but you know, Oklahoma didn't get a very good shot off. So um, hopefully it's, it's the case where, you know, you, you're going to March where teams are going to um, lock down a little bit more defensively and, and really focus hard every possession. Whereas, you know, in a, a game in February, I think, you know, listen, I mean, they're college kids. You, you probably would understand that they're not exactly going balls to the wall, every defensive possession. Um, right. So maybe it's a case where that, that, defense picks up a little bit in March or maybe it's a case where they just have to kind of survive until the last couple possessions and then you don't need a couple of stops which they've they've shown they can get yeah for sure I mean it's it's definitely one of those things it's not a consistent issue like it it seems to me that this that this team just like offensively they go through lulls there's big spurts where they just you know it almost seems like their opponent can pretty much do whatever they want and and that almost seems like it's either a focus or kind of what you're saying a, a miscommunication issue um, that happens at times and then they get it taken care of. And so I think it's really, I, I think part of it might just be the fact that they, uh, well, you know what? I, I, I don't want to speculate on what I think it might be because to be honest, I really have no idea. What I was encouraged by though, was the fact that you, Imogen Gibson, you know, the guy that honestly I was worried about coming in and burning Kansas quite a bit, especially the way that he played against Texas tech. I was expecting him to come in and have a really big game and he did not score a single point. He fouled out going 0 of 2 from 3. Kansas did to him what Oklahoma tried to do to Abaji, you know, and Abaji was able to get 11 points in this game. So I thought it was absolutely fantastic the way that they were to play defense on him. Yes, I think it opened up some other things for some other players, and they didn't necessarily handle Tanner Groves at the end of the game as well until Clement, or until Zach Clements got in there. But, um, you know, it's definitely one of those things where there's things to fix. There's warts that they need to look at. But overall, I think I was fairly happy with it, especially just given the fact that, you know, this is a this is an Oklahoma team that that can pop off at times. We we just saw them pop off against a Texas Tech team. They're probably as hot as they've been all season long, and they seem to be figuring things out. Um, you know, the Gross brothers also, for whatever reason, just seems to have Kansas's number and to be able to do some things. And Kansas, honestly, I thought was able to shut them down fairly well. Like Tanner Gross had 19 points. You know, but he took 14 shots to do it, um, you know, and then uh, Jacob Groves didn't score. So, like, they, I thought they did a really good job against a couple players that 
gave them really big problems in the Imsolated tournament last year. Um, so, all right. Uh, any other final thoughts about this particular game? No, I think it seems like we've been saying this a lot recently, but kind of want to put that one in the rear view mirror. Yeah. You know what? I think we're going to get to the point where it's like, let's just put this entire season in the rear view mirror and focus on March. And I think we're, we're all looking ahead to March and that's kind of the way that everyone is, is, is trending at this, at this point, you know, speaking of looking ahead, I personally am looking ahead to the next few weeks of the promotion going from the sponsor here on the podcast, and that is Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel is the most comfortable vintage college sports anywhere. You guys know about them. I'm sure you have if you've been listening to the podcast at all. Um, but they have T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers for more than 100 different schools available. Vintage college logos on, on that, you know, super comfortable college sports apparel. They keep adding new ones all the time. They are right in the middle of big new Saturday season three. Uh, look, it's it's they've already had four schools. Kansas was not one of them. They have four schools remaining, and the big hope is that Kansas is going to be one of them. So we are doing everything. We're holding out all hope. Uh, you know, I've been bugging, obviously, Kansas, uh, Travis Goff, and then all the people at home field just to try to make sure that we get this Kansas stuff. So I am holding out hope that that's going to happen. You guys need to be looking ahead for that as well. If you have not gone over to homefieldapparel.com yet to take a look what they have, what are you waiting for? It's a perfect time to go ahead and do it. They've got a lot of great stuff. Even if they do drop Kansas stuff, there's a plenty of other apparel that you're going to want that has fantastic logos that are just absolutely phenomenal. I have like nine or so of my own. My wife has three or four. She always steals mine when hers are dirty because they are that comfortable and the logos are that fantastic. If you go over to homefieldapparel.com, take a look around, use promo code CHALK12. You can get 15% off your entire first order. All orders over $100 get free shipping. Like I said, I'm holding out hope for that, for that Kansas stuff. But even if they don't drop it, you know that you're going to find great stuff over there that you are going to want to have. So again, homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHOCK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. All right, Fetch, I think that's it for this particular game. I do want to look ahead to the Oklahoma State game that's coming up for Big Monday. Um, unfortunately, guys, that means because we are looking at both of these, there is not going to be an episode on Tuesday. I know I said that this was going to be a daily podcast, but unfortunately, the Big Monday games kind of mess with that. It's really hard to at, you know, 1030 or 11 o'clock at night record an episode and do all the editing and everything that has to go along with that to make sure you guys can have an episode first thing on Tuesday morning. So we're doing a longer episode today. Um, and then we will skip Tuesday and be back on Wednesday for the rest of the week. But before we get over to Oklahoma state, I do need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the rock chalk podcast. Basketball season is finally here. Big 12 fans. And for your home for men's and women's basketball, come to Midwest madness. We are doing game coverages, going over game analysis, different rankings of teams, and consistently looking at the best matchups in the conference. You're not going to want to miss out on all the amazing basketball coverage we have, so go check out Midwest Madness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. All right, here, here was Steve Fetch, uh, our, our Twitter guy and uh, author over at Blue Wings Rising, talking about, or we just got done talking about Oklahoma. We are talking about Oklahoma State now coming up. Fetch, look, I, I saw the Oklahoma State game where they just obliterated West Virginia um, on Saturday. Looking at this Oklahoma State team, though, this is a team that played Kansas really close, and I don't really know what's different. It was obviously really early in the conference season, um, but but looking at Oklahoma State, what you've kind of seen from them, and if you're if you're kind of scouting them a little bit, what are you worried about from Oklahoma State that could give Kansas problems? Yeah, you know, they've been really good defensively. Um one of the best teams in the country uh, and one of the best teams in the Big 12, obviously, in terms of uh, forcing turnover. So that's going to be a, you know, a little bit of a um, issue, obviously, with how Kansas likes to turn the ball over. Um, 
course they they did in Saturday, but you know Oklahoma doesn't turn it over as much as Oklahoma State does. Um, also, just you know, pretty good two point defense, um, pretty good at blocking shots. Uh, you know, steal the ball pretty well. Um, don't send teams to the free throw line in Big Twelve play anyway. Um, so all that stuff that you know Kansas is going to have to work uh, for their points, and you know we saw that in the first one where they were what zero and nineteen or zero and twenty or whatever it was uh, in a row. Um, yeah, I don't know that they can do that again and win. I think that's playing playing with fire to to go zero of twenty and and still win. I don't know that they can do that again. But those are kind of the main things that uh, you know that stand out to me. Um, I guess I will say quickly on the flip side, you know, offensively, they're kind of the team that I think if you're Kansas, you kind of want to play, you know, Oklahoma State turns it over quite a bit and they don't take a ton of threes. So um, there's not that high variance. They're going to have to really, you know, score a lot of twos in order for, for them to be Kansas. And um, I don't really like a lot of teams in a, a two point shooting competition with Kansas. And also, like I said, Oklahoma State turns it over a ton. So Kansas had those issues turning the ball or uh, forcing teams to turn the ball over and, you know, if they can't do it against this team, uh, who can they do it against, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because Oklahoma is one of those teams that plays really well inside, that shoots well inside, um, but turns the ball over. Oklahoma State is kind of almost the exact opposite. They turn the ball over a whole bunch, but they also, they just, they don't play well inside at all in terms of shooting. Like, they're middle of the pack in shooting, but they don't play anything. Like, they're not very good offensively on the perimeter as well. Um, like the one thing they really have going for them is they give themselves second opportunities and then they go to the foul line. Um, now granted, they're not that great actually at the foul line. They shoot 67% as a team. Um, but they are phenomenal at getting second chances. So getting those offensive rebounds, um, and then using those chances to get their opponents in foul trouble and, and get themselves to the line. So, um, I think that's what Kansas has, has to worry about the fact that McCormick could easily find himself in foul trouble here. Um, you know, they have a lot of great guys on the inside that could give Kansas problems. And, and I don't know that I'm necessarily as worried about Oklahoma State scoring on the inside, because like you said, they're not a fantastic shooting team, regardless of where you look at. What I am worried about is that they're going to be able to clog up the space enough that Kansas is not going to be able to do what they want to do. Um, you know, because not only are they are they good at getting themselves second chances, but they're good at stopping the opponents from getting a, from I'm sorry, from from scoring on the inside. Now, what's weird, though, is you look at their defense, you know, they give up a ton of offensive rebounds as well. So that is going to be an opportunity for Kansas. And I think where Kansas is going to have to excel in this game is they're going to have to get a bunch of second chances and actually convert. um, And they're going to make sure they're going to need to make sure that Oklahoma State doesn't get a bunch of those second chances as well. Because if this is a game where every team is, you know, rebounding their own misses, you know, every like 50 percent of the time. It's going to be a really long game. It's going to be a much closer game than it needs to be. And, you know, that's that's the point where one of Kansas's slumps is likely to happen um, where I would actually be worried about this. So um, any any particular players that jump out to you or or anything else about the, the team in general that, that you're really worried about? Well, I think, you know, Isaac likely seems like he uh, lives for playing against Kansas, um, you know, after a, a really good freshman season and, and a decent little sophomore season um, in terms of the non-conference anyway. seems like once that conference season and the sophomore season started, um, he's been kind of a different player. Uh, last year, obviously, he had to adjust a little bit to having Kate Cunningham come and take the ball a lot. But uh, this year, he's still, you know, not been great, only shooting 44% on twos, um, turning them all over uh a little bit too much uh, for a point guard or, or, and not passing it as much as you would like. 
Um, but against Kansas, you know, came out and uh, what seven for 15 from the floor. And, and I'm doing this, you know, just on the fly here, looking it up, obviously, but yeah, 16 points, 12 rebounds, three assists. Um, pretty funny. You know, it just seems like he, he lives for playing against Kansas. So um, he's the guy that obviously Kansas is going to want to watch out for. And then obviously, you know, old friend Bryce Thompson coming back um, didn't have a very good game uh, in Stillwater against Kansas, but you know, he wants to come into Allen Fieldhouse and, and have a really good game and knock off the Jayhawks. So those are probably the, the two guys that I would look out for the most. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely like that was who I had circled was, was Bryce Thompson because he has been playing fairly well. If there's any player on the Oklahoma state team that can take over for that, for that team, it is Bryce Thompson, which being a five-star recruit, like you would expect him to have that capability of, of being able to do that. I think it's taken him a little bit of time to kind of work into the rotation and get to the point where he's been super comfortable. Um, but you're right. He does a lot of the little things for that Oklahoma state team. Um, and so it's one of those things where, if, if someone's going to pop off that doesn't necessarily seem like they should be one of those guys that does, but, but you know, for whatever reason, just randomly hits a whole bunch of threes or something. Um, he, he has both the capability and has kind of shown in the past that he is, he is actually able to do that. So um, I'm definitely worried about Bryce Thompson having a game, like you said, coming back down on field house, you know, for the first time since, since he actually played here, you know, as part of the home team, um, he's going to be fired up. The question, you know, it's really going to be up to Kansas to make sure that he doesn't get going and likely was, you know, the guy that really was able to do anything offensively um, uh, against Kansas last time. He, he actually did pretty much everything. You know, he had 12 rebounds, um, like you said, just absolutely ridiculous how all over the court he was in that particular game. Um, I, I am I'm definitely curious to see what Oklahoma State's game plan is going to be because they've they have struggled at times. Um you know, especially with any team that's kind of athletic at all. Um, West Virginia has been really down this year. Um, and so like the, the, the fact that they killed that Oklahoma state killed West Virginia on Saturday. I I don't, I don't know that I read too much into that. It's not like Oklahoma state is fixed at this point or anything like that. Um, you know, it's, it's weird. And I was hoping to have gotten an Oklahoma state person on the podcast for this. Cause I really wanted to ask them, like, how do you game plan for this? Like, how do you, you know, work around the fact that you can't play in the postseason? Um, but I'm going to be honest, like Oklahoma state is one of those teams that I, I don't know that I would want to play them in the big 12 tournament. Um, I just think the way that they play, they like to muck up games and, you know, they're also one of those teams that you don't really know what to do with them. You don't really know, you know, how to handle what it is that they try to do. You don't really know how to game plan for them because it's hard to look at what they do and, and have to think you have to take specific things seriously. You just have to worry about all the different things that could go well for them and try to squash them as they kind of pop up. It's, it's, it's almost like playing defensive whack-a-mole, you know, trying to figure out who's going to pop up their little head and, and try to get on a little bit of run there. And you have to, you know, smack them down before they can really get something rolling. All right. So, I mean, anything else about this game? It's, is there any anything in terms of Kansas that you're looking for a particular guy to get going against Oklahoma State? Um, or is this more about just trying to get, like, Ochai back and just trying to keep everybody rolling? Yeah, I think mostly Ochai, you know, see what happens, see if Bill Self has any adjustments in the works for what happens if the third straight opponent really likes to, you know, really tries to take him out of the game. And then, like I said earlier, I just think, um, you know, if they can't turn this team over, because Oklahoma State, certainly has turned the ball over quite a bit. They're 332nd nationally. Um, oh no, I'm sorry. I'm looking at Oklahoma. What's our, what's our editing like? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> um, Oklahoma state. 
uh, Oklahoma State's 309th nationally, so they're they're a little bit better, but not much better. So, yeah, not much at all. <laughs> um, second uh, second crack at you know turning a team over who loves to turn the ball over, but um, that's kind of the main thing that I'm watching for. It's mostly going to be defensively, um, offensively. I'm. It's weird to say that I'm not worried offensively because they definitely go through these walls where they just can't score. But then you look up and they're you know third in the nation in adjusted uh, offense at Ken Palm and I think third in Torvik as well. So right. that's clearly not where the problem is. Um, so I'm just going to keep watching the defense and hope it can play better and, and hope if nothing else they can go through those you know maybe five minute stretches where it's just tough for them to to get scored on and then um, if they can keep doing that then you know maybe they can just kind of have one of those five minute stretches, put the game out of reach and then, you know, not let the team crawl back type deal. So um, kind of just the the overall team defense is what I'm going to be looking for. Yeah. And, and kind of to your point, like there's no reason at all to worry about the offense because again, the offense is still third. They, you know, even though they, they have times where they go through those huge stretches, they're still like, you know, 1.19 or 1. 1.5 or, or I'm sorry, 1.05, you know, they're still above one point per possession in all of these against really good defenses. Like I think that's what a lot of people fail to realize because it, or it's, it's, it's easy to kind of overlook at the fact that every single defense in this big 12 is good. It's a, it's a top 50 or better defense. Um, and so it's really hard to assume that you're not going to have stretches, right. Where, where things go cold. And, and that's kind of where, I wonder how much of it is just, hey, a good defense is going to shut down a good offense occasionally. It's going to happen. There's going to be times where you just go cold, you don't shoot, and then you know the the few possessions where you probably would have gotten something going, the defense makes a great play or something like that. Like it's not outside the realm of possibility that even an offense that's as good as Kansas's is, you know, number three in the nation, is going to get shut down for a four minute period against a top forty defense. Like that's why they're a top 40 defense. And so it, it it almost feels like we might be searching for a problem with this offense because they go through stretches of, you know, cold shooting or something like that when there really isn't one because they are playing absolutely phenomenal defenses. There isn't a team in the big 12 where you can say, okay, this is the team that the offense has to be firing on all cylinders for the entire game. Or we're worried about maybe potentially this offense isn't as good as the metrics make it look because there isn't a defense that you can expect that. Um, on the flip side, there's a lot of bad offenses in this Big 12 conference. And again, like some of that might be the fact that there's a ton of good defenses because you can't entirely adjust for the uh, level of your opponents. But, you know, there are definitely some teams that they should have been playing better defense against than they actually did with some of those offenses. This Oklahoma State team is one of those that gives you a good opportunity. Like Oklahoma is a, like number 56 in Ken Palm after this game. They are they are a a fairly good offense, an offense that it's not it's not necessarily something to hang your hat about if they were to torture you for a portion of the game. Um, you know, as long as overall you put over you you put on a good performance, they're they're going to have some of those. Uh, Oklahoma State, this this offense is not good. It's 125. It's about middle of the pack. Um, you know, they Kansas should be able to shut this offense down like they did the last time. I mean, you look at the last time and they were able to, um, I'm actually trying to pull it up right now so I can actually get what the, what the per possession was and I had it and I lost it. This is, this is, by the way, yes, this is absolutely great podcasting. Um, but okay. Yeah. So looking at this last time, 
you know, Kansas shut them down. They only scored 0.88 points per possession, which is absolutely phenomenal in terms of a defense, a defensive performance. Um, so like, that's what you expect. This is where a defense can get back on track. Um, you know, Kansas has a couple of those actually coming up because we have West Virginia is the next game. West Virginia is not a very good offense at all. They're, they're, they're actually better than Oklahoma state, but they're really not that great. And this is a team that Kansas went ballistic on. Um, and then Kansas state again, uh, you know, kind of a hovering right around a hundred. So there's a stretch of three games here with teams that are right around a hundred or worse that Kansas defense should be able to kind of reestablish what they do. And if they can do that, I'm going to feel a lot better about this team going into that final stretch before they play Baylor, you know, and Texas tech. Um, I'm sorry, Baylor and Texas at the end of the year, you know, sandwiching around, around a couple TCU games. So there's a lot of opportunities here. I don't know that it's time to hit the panic button about the defense at this point, you know, given what they gave up against Oklahoma. Um, you know, this is kind of get right time as well. You know, Kansas had that brutal stretch and yes, they had a few days off this week, but I would imagine with the big Monday game coming up, they're going to have another couple days off to get them, you know, rested up and get them ready to go. Looking at the final stretch, because we have a couple minutes here left, looking at the final stretch of the conference, like, you know, the way that this conference race is kind of shaping up for everybody, you know, do, do you think it we're, we are kind of at the point now where it's, you know, that, that Kansas-Baylor game is going to decide who actually wins the conference? I don't know about decide, but I think it's it's probably the key one now um i think kansas and baylor even though texas tech is right there as well i do think kansas and baylor are quality wise just a, a step ahead um of texas tech so yeah that game in waco is is certainly going to be a big one that's really you know that's obviously the toughest game for um for kansas left uh baylor has to go to texas tech at texas still um so, you know, I, I think you probably schedule have to probably give the edge to Kansas at this point. Obviously, you know, they're uh, ahead by a game as well, which doesn't hurt. So um, I, I think that uh, Kansas does have maybe a little bit of wiggle room in there, given the fact that they do have a, a little bit easier schedule than Baylor. But certainly if they can beat Baylor, you know, you, you have to think that's going to do it. Yeah. The other thing I'll say about Texas Tech is that, you know, yes, the final score was pretty big for them against TCU. Uh, but they actually struggled with TCU for, for quite a while. Um, was able to use a big run in the second half to, you know, have an opportunity at home to be able to to kind of pace TCU in the second half. Um, I think that game's going to be a lot harder for them when they actually go back on the return down to TCU. So um, Texas Tech has three, I think, decently tough games or, well, at least two decently tough games on the road. I'm not sure what that Oklahoma State one to end the season is going to be like. But like you said, um, you know, Baylor has both Texas Tech and Kansas to play still. Um, you know, I think all of these teams have Texas to play still. Yeah, all, all three of them have Texas to play still. So so Texas could still have something to say in this. Like, if, if Texas sweeps through all three of those teams, um, then theoretically this could get, you know, a lot more interesting. Um, but I, I do agree. I think that, that Kansas-Baylor one is kind of the game I'm looking at. If Kansas wins that one, it's going to be really hard for Kansas not to share. Um, and the way things are kind of shaping up at this point you know, with, with Jonathan Chumachachua for Baylor going out with a knee injury, still haven't heard exactly what's going on with that, um, how long he's going to be out. But that's a big piece that gave Kansas or that could give Kansas some trouble potentially in that game that's likely not going to be available um, because I saw that live and it looked bad. Like it looked really, really bad. When, when your knee bends the wrong way, um, you know that there's the potential for a sustained you know, being out for an injury there. So, all right. Um, Fetch, any, any final thoughts to wrap us up before we get to our random sports minute? 
No, I'm I'm ready to get random. I was just say, look, the Olympics are going on. We have barely talked about it. One because you haven't been on very much recently with ev- with everything that we have going on. Um, but also too, I th- these Olympics feel really weird. I don't know if it's the fact that they're in China and the timing and the time zone and the whole you know geopolitical situation and all this ridiculousness that's happening. But I kind of miss talking about the Olympics. So what do you have for me? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's probably a combo of the time zone and the fact that, you know, it really does seem not as fun without the the crowds there. Um, I Fair. Do you know what? That, that's actually probably, probably a much bigger part of it than I'm act, than I was accounting for. Yeah. Um, yeah, just I guess, you know, we'll go. Obviously, we don't have time to do everything. Just a little brief overview. Uh, Norway currently leads the medal count. Uh, Norway and Germany tied in the gold medal count. Um, I think if I remember correctly, Germany so far has won every single sliding event. So like luge, doubles luge. Skeleton, yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, all that. I mean, it's it's insane. Let someone else win. Um, on the United States side, you know, they're currently tied for uh, third with most medals and, and I think tied for third with most golds as well. Um, kind of an up and down, you know, Lindsay Jacob Ellis getting her gold medal. That's great. Uh, Chloe Kim defending her snowboard title. That's great. Um, on the flip side, obviously, you've got, you know, Michaela Schifrin falling in a couple of races. You thought, um, you know, she had a chance maybe if she would have done everything correctly to uh, be the most decorated uh, U.S. Winter Olympian ever, um, or female Winter Olympian ever, I believe. Um, and that's obviously not going to happen. She'll have to wait for four more years. And, um, you know, of course, Sean White getting fourth uh, in the snowboarding. Yeah, that well. one was A little bit of a disappointment as well, although. Yeah, watching uh, uh, Hirano from Japan, who won it, though, that was, oh, boy, that's insane. I don't even know how you, you know, I think I would have a heart attack if I went up uh, in the air, never mind landing and breaking every single bone in my body. So, um, I always, you know, it's funny. I, I see every once in a while during the Olympics, there's this tweet posted where, you know, someone says, Hey, let's, um, you know, just average Joe do all these events just to see how good these guys are. And <laughs> yeah, that's good in the, you know, that's good in the summer Olympics when, you know, someone running the hundred meter dash would finish 10 seconds behind Usain Bolt or whatever, but like, you know, some random Joe doing the ski jumping or something would probably kill himself. So I think that would be a pretty yeah, short well, uh, it was funny experiment because, in the winter. Olympics. Well, it was, it was funny because NBC, you know, had, I forget which, which one it is. I, I think it was like on the USA network. One of the hosts I have over there was like doing some of the events. So like he was doing like the biathlon where he was like skiing, like half of one of the laps that they would do. And then laying down and trying to shoot. And while he hit all the targets, it took him like 10 minutes to hit all the targets. Like it was just ridiculous to watch him do that and how out of breath he was and everything. Um, And then like the curling, like they showed him doing that as well. So they're actually doing some of that stuff to show just how much precision, just how difficult a lot of these events are. Um, Yeah, I can't imagine trying to do any of those, especially the, you know, quote unquote extreme sports. Um, like the snowboarding, the all the trick stuff, all the all the ski jumping. Um, Lindsay J- Jacob Ellis actually got two gold medals. She had not only you know the her her, her individual one, but the the mixed teams uh, snowboard cross as well. They got they got actually that was that was on Friday night that we saw that where you know her and her teammate were able to to win, which is a, a new event to the Olympics this year. It was actually really exciting. I, I like the the cross events where it's actually people racing. Um, you know, it, it adds an extra element to it, not just the timing, but also just like, you know, it's that individual competition or that head to head competition as well. So there's a lot more Olympics to still happen. Uh, I believe that they still, yeah, they, they go through the 20th. Uh, so there's still like more than a week, meaning that we'll probably be able to talk about some of the stuff coming up next week as well. But, uh, definitely if you're not watching the Olympics in between all this basketball, um, then what are you doing? Like there's so many random things that are just absolutely phenomenal to watch. I turn it on while I'm working and I'll just have it on in the background and kind of halfway pay attention. 
and pick up a whole bunch of sports that I never actually ever get to watch except for when they're there for the Olympics. So, all right, Fetch, I think that's going to do it for us today. Any other, any other things you wanted to, to, to hit real quick? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I certainly could go on about the Olympics for about Especially curling, three days right? and, and uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and same with, you know, college basketball seems like we could talk about it all the time, but I, I feel like, you know, once you, yeah, once you get into like hour two of curling, I think people would maybe start turning their uh, phones off. Yeah, probably. Unfortunately, you know, one, one of these days we should during the Olympics. So, so four years from now, we should just have a curling mini series and I, sure we'll forget about that by the time we get there so unless somebody really wants to remind us sets one of those twitter reminders um that's just going to go into the ether and never actually happen but all right fetch thank you so much for joining me thank you guys so much for listening if you have not already please do go out wherever you get your podcasters apple podcast spotify stitcher any of the other million apps that are out there just search for rock chalk podcast so you can subscribe and get every episode as soon as it comes out if you can leave us a rating and review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely great. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is. We can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at gmail.com on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Of course, you can catch Fetch now tweeting over at the new site's Twitter. That's at Blue Wings Rise. Couldn't get the full site name, unfortunately, because someone else had already grabbed that. But Blue Wings Rising is the new site where we're covering everything going on with the Jayhawks. Absolutely fantastic. Really enjoy being over there with Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Network. Um, so so make sure you catch all of our coverage over there as well. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network. Um, you know, if you want to know how the Big 12 is going to affect the Jayhawks, you need to know what's happening in the rest of the Big 12. So if you go over to at ten one two network over on Twitter, you can get links to all the shows that cover all the teams in the Big 12 conference. We have a fantastic group of podcasters over there that are doing a lot of great work. So, uh, but that's going to do it for us today. Make sure you visit our sponsor, Homefield Apparel, promo code SHOCK12, get you 15% off your entire first order. And thank you for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all, and yes, I want you to be listening to the Tortillas and Takes podcast presented by 1012 Network. If you are a fan that is of a team that has 12 wins, going to the national championships every year, that just loves to talk about all the success that your program has had, well, then you're probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you are a fan that just likes to really be in it every week, and, and really have a real good shot at winning it, you're also probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you have really high highs and really low lows and really drink quite a bit, you might be a Texas Tech fan. So come along and party with us here at Tortillas and Takes. We're going to sit back, crack open a cold one, eat some tortillas, and, and as always, we're going to stay wrecked, people. Sports Social Podcast Network.